Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the book of Daniel. Father, thank you for the work you're doing in the hearts of your people and the lives of those that you call believers, those that you call followers, and those that you're drawing to yourself to make the gospel real in their life. Thank you. Thank you this morning that as we open your word and we talk about Daniel, God, we're grateful that your word is living and active. And it has the unique and powerful ability to penetrate way deep into our hearts and to reveal our motives, to reveal all of our fears and our angst. It just has a way of getting in there and confronting the lies of the enemy, the false beliefs, God, that we store up into our hearts and minds throughout our journey, faith, and your word sets us free. It opens our eyes to the truth. And so, may you be blessed through the study of your word this morning, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series um, this summer where we've been digging into the biblical book of Daniel and his character. Today we'll be in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, if you need a Bible, we have... uh, Usher's handing those out. Also, um, we have study notes. If you would like some notes to follow along with me, uh, um, they also have those notes. And if uh, you want those notes on the way out, you can pick them up as you leave. Um, It's a way for me to keep you awake while I'm preaching. If I can tell you to look at the notes, then your, your significant other budges you and says, hey, wake up. You need to be looking on the notes. So... There's strategy behind those notes. Um, Today in Daniel chapter 9, it's a doozy. It's, uh, no matter where you stand after these last two weeks uh, of the political news and uh, and the political world going on, today's message is timely as we consider uh, God's plan for us through Daniel. So we pick up from... Last week, and Josh uh, talked through Daniel 8, and I'm glad I didn't have Daniel chapter 8. Um, Uh, But here we are going into uh, chapter 9, and we fast forward 11 years chronologically. And so here's Daniel. He's uh, in Babylon, and Babylon is in a time of transition, similar to kind of the transition we're in as a country here. And uh, I begin reading in verse 1 and 2. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So here's Daniel and they've just completed an election year. The new king is on his throne, if they have elections. The new king is on his throne. It's Darius. And what do we find Daniel doing? We find Daniel engaged in Bible study. Daniel's probably in his 80s by now. And here he is. He's seeing all this go on in, in Babylon. And he's reading the Word. And as he's reading the Word, he's reading the, the book of Jeremiah. And... And as he's reading Jeremiah, he gets to chapter 25. 
In chapter 25, beginning in verse 11, he reads these words. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And because he was reading the Moses New Translation Version, it gave him a cross-reference to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. And so he goes to Jeremiah chapter 29, and he reads this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Sound familiar in this verse? To give you a future and a hope. Boy, we've used that one a lot, haven't we? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so Daniel's reading this, and he's going, wait a minute, let me do the math here. Now, it was in chapter 1, right, where all of a sudden Daniel and his companions, what happened? Jerusalem's attacked, right? They come under siege. They're carried off to Babylon, right? Him and his companions. They take the choices of the young men and they bring him into Babylon. So now Daniel's doing math. He's going, wow, I'm almost 80 years old. Not sure, or over 80. Not sure how old he was when he was taken captive. But he's going, wow, this 70 years, this, this thing that Jeremiah's talking about, it's going to happen. In fact, it may happen in my lifetime. I got to get ready. I, I, I know God said it. What am I going to do about it? And this is what Daniel, he's confronted with this. And he recognizes that although God is sovereign and God has a plan and it's written there in his word, he's not sure how it's going to come about. Because he's not seeing, right? He's not seeing Israel going back to Jerusalem. He's not seeing the climate and the culture of Babylon changing and being nicer to Christians. And, and, and he, so it's not happening now. So he's faced with a dilemma. What am I going to do? God, you said it. I believe it. I guess I better act on it. Right? And so look at verse 3. It says, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You see, Daniel was given the job to do, to pray. He knew God said it. He believed it. Okay, God, that's your sovereign plan. Now what am I to do? Because you created me. You put me here in this situation. I've read your word. You've showed it to me. Think about our life, guys right? The word has become clear to us. Now we've got to obey and do something. Daniel's moved to pray. You see, throughout Scripture, God uses these, he employs these means to get to the end. This is going to help us understand what Daniel's doing in his prayer. Let me 
give you an illustration. The example would be the gospel message. God's plan is to redeem man and spend eternity with them forever, right? Everybody would agree with that, right? That's the end, okay? Man's responsibility to believe the gospel message and share it is the means. So God does something, he says something, and then we respond, right? He uses us as the means, or he uses different vehicles as a means. And we've seen it all throughout the book of Daniel. This case, we get to chapter 9, the means is going to be Daniel praying. Now think about that for us. How many times have we read something in Scripture and we know that it's what God said and we're, we're tempted to say, well, why should I even pray about it? If God's going to do it, why should I even pray about it? Here's your answer. Because we are the means to the end. God chooses us to be a part of this. And as he chooses us to be a part of we're in fellowship with God and we're walking with him to do what? To fulfill the will he's already purposed in his plan. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So this is where Daniel is. And so look at verse 4. He begins to pray. As we look at Daniel's prayer, I want it to be a pattern for us in our prayer. It doesn't have to be exact, but I think it's a great pattern for prayer. Now, if you thought Daniel's diet was awesome, you wait until you try Daniel's prayer. It's even better. How many of you tried the Daniel diet? Okay. Well, wait until you eat a little bit of Daniel's prayer. Uh, it will change your life. Um, so let's get into his prayer. So here's Daniel. He begins to pray. I think this is a great reminder of as we enter into prayer with God, he took time to focus his heart on the Lord, to get his eyes focused. And then as he approaches God in prayer, look at verse 4. He says this. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, and keeps covenant and standfast love with those who love and keep his commandments. See, Daniel begins his prayer by focusing immediately on God and the character of God. See, throughout his prayer in these verses from uh, verse 4 through 19, Daniel continually revisits a, a specific characteristic of God. He's going to talk about God's righteousness. He's going to talk about God's mercy and God's forgiveness. He's going to talk about God's awesome power. You see, Daniel was well-versed in the Scriptures. And he was... What, he was very familiar with these characteristics about God, just like we are today. He read many accounts of how God intervened. And then we've been learning throughout the summer, he's also seen firsthand, right? God do some pretty epic stuff in his lifetime, hadn't he? I mean, he, he saw God grant him favor under the authority of a wicked king. He saw his buddy stoned in the furnace and not get burned. He watched God turn a king into a wild beast. He was part of a hand that was writing on a wall. And of course, the lions having lockjaw where they didn't eat him up. That's that old southern term, lockjaw. You like that one? God just closed the mouths of the lions. I love it. 
Are you kidding? Daniel knew the awesomeness of God. And he begins his prayer by focusing on that. Not on the circumstances, but he begins his prayer by gazing upon God. You see, a couple of things that happen when we begin our prayer by focusing on God. It redirects our thoughts off of us to Him. And I, that's a good thing for me. Because a lot of times my thoughts can get so entwined with the thoughts of the world or the thoughts of how everything's about me in this life. And I so quickly forget about, no, God's in control. So Daniel begins by not only reverently coming before God, but also recognizing and telling him, God, you are awesome. You are righteous. It's not just one characteristic that I'm going to take. It's not all, all the good characteristics, God, that I'm going to do, and I'm going to leave out the tough ones. No, Daniel's very balanced in this. The merciful and the faithful and the long-suffering God and the righteous judge. He puts them all together. He doesn't pull one out. And so that's our first step in Daniel's pattern of prayer. That he focuses on the character of God. Look what he does secondly. Daniel starts confessing sin and repenting. Verse 5, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 6, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Daniel begins to cry out to God in repentance and confession. Wayne Grudem defines repentance this way. I like it. It says, Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to God. That's powerful, huh? Let me read it again. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to God. You see, Daniel knows the bondage that the people of Israel experience when sin is in control of their lives. We know the bondage that we're in when sin controls our life, don't we? I do. I really do, right? He was brokenhearted. He's reading this. And he sees the people, and he can't help but to be heartbroken over their condition. Because he knows that this sin that, that they've lived in for these 70 years, it, it disrupts our relationship with God. It, it disrupts our fellowship with God. So Daniel's brokenhearted. Repentance is needed. It was so clear to Daniel, right? I mean, it was so clear. Israel, we need to repent. Why didn't Israel see it? Why didn't Israel see the same reason that Daniel did about repenting? Well, I gave it a, an American shot at it. And uh, I, I came up with a couple of reasons why Maybe Israel had the same issue that we today in our country might have and the reason why we don't repent immediately when we sin. Here's three of them. Follow me on this. 
Could, is, could some of Israel's reasons be the same as ours today? First reason. Why is repentance needed? Why do we need to confess our sin? Why can't we see that? Number one, perhaps they didn't see immediate judgment when sin occurred. So they presumed upon God's threats. Think about that a minute. Think of the injustices that occur in our life, right? And they seemingly go without judgment. And if you see enough of these, if I don't know how first responders do it, but if you see enough of these over and over, how do you guard your heart from being hardened? How do you, how do you formulate, wow, my little sin, does it really matter to God when all this is going on and judgment's not coming? I mean, all I did was tell a lie. You see how captivating that is for us? You see, think about times when you sinned. And you temporarily, you, you dodged, you know, you dodged this, this consequent bullet. And you go, got away with it. And I keep getting away with it. I keep getting away with it. Maybe it's really not a sin. Maybe it's really not offending God. Or maybe I'm just good at hiding it. You see the lie there? I think that's probably what Israel faced. I know that's what I face in my life. And I would say most of you, you probably have wrestled through that once or twice. We just come to a point in that thinking that, you know what, it's not that bad after all. It's just a little sin. Number two. They were feeling that as long as God lived in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, all throughout the Old Testament, God dwelt in his temple, right? And so as long as God's presence was with them, God dwelling in the temple, there was this sense that, you know what? All is good in the hood, right? All is good because God is here. Wow, are we not living in that right now in America? Think about that. Because God is present, the Israelites believed they were safe, even though they were in bondage and captivity. See, this is often what we run to in America. We are a Christian nation, right? I mean, our money even says it, and God we trust. There's this invincibility sometimes about us that when tragedy comes or a threat comes, well, we have God's favor. Surely God is not going to let us suffer judgment. We have a church on every corner. God's present, right? I mean, we're a Christian nation. God's present. There's no need to repent. We're not in sin. We're doing great. Yeah? Immorality is probably at an all-time high right now. Number three, are these reasons hitting home? Am I too hard? (laughs) They were hard on me. Number three, they were so passionate about seeking the good of people, including themselves, mainly themselves, that they became so entrenched in this new normal that they were experiencing in Babylon. You see, they had made God into their own image to please themselves. If we're going to be in this God-forsaking country, then we're going to make the best out of it. 
And it is all about me at the end of the day anyway, right? They became satisfied with the way life was going for them. Why in the world would they want to repent? I mean, why would they want to turn from that if things were going good? When you see for us, repentance stands at the heart of Christianity. It's not that our faith results from repentance, but repentance flows from faith in God who forgives. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regret. You see, our spiritual maturity is not just based upon our perfection because this side of heaven will never be perfect. But often is based upon how quickly I confess and repent of my sin. Some of the most mature people I know spiritually, they're not the perfect people. They're just honest and vulnerable with God and with others. And so Daniel cries out for God's forgiveness and his mercy. In our prayer time, as we approach God as awesome and powerful, as we confess and repent of our sin, then Daniel comes to the heart of the prayer, which is a covenant promise that God has for his people. And so Daniel begins to pray this covenant prayer. Verse 4, again, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, This covenant, this word, is a solemn commitment. It's guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both parties. A covenant is similar to a treaty. In simple terms, I have to have them in simple terms. Um, God makes certain promises to his people. And in response there to obey the laws, he announces to them. And so in, in this chapter, in uh, verses 9 through 14, Daniel says in his prayer, To the Lord our God, being mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. So what Daniel is confronted with and and what Daniel knows and understands, he knows and understands the covenant that God made with Moses. And that's what he's going back to here. He says, in the law of Moses, the servant of God. And so he's talking about this covenant. And so as he's praying to God, he's praying these covenant promises that God made to Moses and to Israel. And just a quick summary of the Mosaic Covenant, um, Moses was a human mediator. And he interceded between God and Israel, his covenant people. And the blessings of this covenant included redemption from bondage and the freedom to worship God. The conditions of enjoying this covenant centered on obeying all of God's laws. 
And so they were all squeezed together into the Ten Commandments. Remember in Exodus 19 through 24, those chapters, Moses comes up with the Ten Commandments. And all of these commandments, they're anchored in God alone being worshipped. And so Daniel knows this covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30, those chapters lay out this this covenant of how it actually operates. And through the first several verses, it talks about if you obey this covenant, then you get the blessings. If you disobey the covenant, you get the curses. And what Daniel is doing is he's going back and he's reading through Deuteronomy. And he's seeing God. He's hearing God. He's seeing this covenant. And he's saying, if we believe, God blesses it. If we don't believe and disobey God's curses. Oh, Israel, we got to repent. We got to obey. In fact, we have covenant promises. We've got God's word that if we obey, he will bless us. As you go through the rest of his prayer, it's like Daniel sounding like a kid to his parents. This covenant that Daniel knows that was made between God and Moses to Israel. It was a family thing. It it, it was God expressing his love to a called out people. And he was saying, in essence, you're my family. You're You're my cherished possession. And my favor is on you. And Daniel, he's saying, guys, this is a family thing. And because it's a family thing, I can approach Abba God like a kid approaches his parents, right? Well, you promised. You promised. You ever been there, mom or dad, when you make a promise to your kid and a week later they go, you promised, you promised. That's what Daniel's saying. God, you said it, you promised it. I'm believing you. And this is how I'm praying. This is what I'm praying. I'm not praying my will be done, but I'm praying your will be done, God, because this is what you promised. And because you promised this, this is what's going to come to be. Now I have to get in line with what's going to come to be. Well, how does that relate to us today? We're not under all of the Mosaic covenant, right? We're under the new covenant. The new covenant is God giving us his son Jesus Christ. Look at Jeremiah 31. I gotta hurry. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me for the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. New covenant. That's what we're living under. 
the new covenant. You see, the phrases that we can um, approach God with in the new covenant, the phrases around our identity, right? You've been a royal, you are a royal priesthood. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. You see, that's the terminology in the new covenant. What does that sound like? It's a family thing, isn't it? The same promises that Daniel was praying for God to move through the Mosaic covenant is the same promises we can pray today through the new covenant. Today, we don't have to go through the priest. We don't have to offer sacrifices. Jesus has taken care of that. Now we can come boldly before the throne. Now we can come right up to our Abba Father. And so you promised, you promised, you promised. Be humble in that, but be confident in that. So today, as you pray, pray the promises of God. And then last, Daniel was concerned for God's glory in his prayer. Verse 17 through 19. says this now therefore O God listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your sake O Lord make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate O my God incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see your desolation and the city that is called by your name for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy O Lord hear O Lord forgive O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. See, that word glory means excellent, an excellent reputation. It means honor. Listen to those phrases in there. Daniel's praying, God, for your sake, for your name, for your city, For your people. God, for your sanctuary. It's your own sanctuary. You see, like Daniel, the more we focus on God's glory and not ours in prayer, the more we are reminded who God is and who we are as his servants. So, Daniel approached God by recognizing the character of God. He did so that moved him to repent of his sin because he's broken fellowship with God that children of Israel have. Then he goes into the covenant promises. As we pray, we pray the promises of God. We pray what God's word says. And then we are concerned about God's glory, not ours. How do we end that? How do we end the day? Well, let's, let's think about what we covered. Just like Daniel, we too, we've been reading God's Word. We've been hearing these messages, most of us, a lot of our life. These messages have come from his prophets, preachers, the Word, whatever. We've even read additional books for knowledge. And today, we too have continued, a lot of us, in our sin. And at times along this faith journey, we've not been faithful to God. 
We've tried to satisfy ourselves with the trinkets of this world. We've tried to deal with life and its disappointments with our own strength and our own ability. Many cases, these idols and these entitlements that come to us because we live in America, they've distracted us. They've pulled us away from intimacy with God. Why? I mean, how in the world do we get here? Well, could it be as it was with Israel? They got comfortable. Seventy years in that land, life was good. God wasn't too bad. But life was really good. And they got comfortable. And they took advantage of God's goodness. They took advantage of God's blessing. They took advantage of His love and His forgiveness. You see, they rejected the freedom that comes from God to His children. They turn their backs on God. Not blatant rebellion, but slowly. And through this slowly, it's, it's that frog in the warm water, right? It, it's, a, it's a softening of our hearts, our coldness of our hearts. And our hearts need to be softened. The new covenant, right? We need new hearts. We, we, we don't need new behavior. That we, well, we do need new behavior. But it begins with a heart. It doesn't depend upon our behavior. And so for us today, what do you do with this? Where do we begin? First, I would say, let's follow Daniel's lead. I would say for some of us, it's just being honest about ramping up the concept of praying. Praying's just not before dinner. It's not before a big test. You know, it's not before an interview for a job only. It's not just about what's going on in your life. But it is a great opportunity, and it's even a great habit to do to draw us back to God. So some of us, we just need to ramp up our prayer. For others of us, you see, Daniel prayed because he understood who God really was and he had experienced God in powerful ways. And I believe many of us today, we can experience and we have experienced God in powerful ways. I've been at this church almost 10 years. I've visited a lot of people in hospitals. I've visited you in your homes. I've been here on Sundays. I've heard your stories. I've heard the testimonies of God's goodness. We've together watched God work in powerful ways. And yet, in my heart, there's sin. And I need to repent of it. I need to turn from it. In fact, as an elder, I should be setting the example. And so as we close today, not only should I be setting an example in my life, but I should be praying for you as well. So today, we're going to do something a little different. I've asked the uh, elders and pastors to come up, and we're going to end our time by praying.
And the elders and pastors are going to be praying for, for us as Cornerstone Church. And we're going to be praying for ourselves as well. Because today, some of us, we've held on to that sin too long. We're in bondage to that sin. And we need freedom in it. We need freedom that only God gives. And the means in which He gives it is through confession and repentance. And the end is joy and freedom. And if you've ever been wracked by an addiction, if you've ever been buried in your sin and you repented and you walked away from that sin, you knew the load was lifted off of you. And that's what God is wanting to do for you today. As we prepare for that, Billy and Shannon are going to sing, begin singing a song. I want us to prepare our hearts. And then I want you to examine your own heart. If there's sin in it, if there's something uh, that you need to confess to God, do that. Repent of it. I know for me, there's, there's, there's sin I need to repent of. But as a church, are there sins that we need to repent of as a church? Are there these, are there these sins that have just become acceptable in the church that we need to repent of as a body our fear our apathy our judging those outside the body self-pity worry flattery comfort consumerism the list goes on add to it pray this morning ask God to forgive us if we're guilty of any of those and ask his spirit to do a a transformation, a heart surgery on us this morning and to turn this cold heart into a warm heart, okay? After Billy sings the first verse, then we'll take time to, they'll play musically. Take time to pray. Elders, pastors, if you want to take this time to come up and begin praying for our people, that'd be awesome.
invite you at your chair if you want to come up here at the altar and pray if you want to come to the prayer room we'll ask you to engage with God in prayer right now however God's leading you praying as Billy and Shannon continue this song pray pray and I'll close this in a minute all right
Thank you for taking this time and praying. Isn't it good to talk to God? It's even better when He talks to us. <laughs> and so today, as you go forth, go in the freedom that God has given you through His redemptive work on the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's promised to you as His children that He would never leave you nor forsake you. And that He loves you. And His mercy and His grace is forever toward us. And so may you go, not gloomy, but free and excited that you're a child of this great King of ours, the God, Jehovah. And may you go with joy this week. In Jesus' name, amen.